Genesis chapter 45. Then Joseph could no longer control himself before all his attendants, and he cried out, Make everyone leave my presence. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him, and Pharaoh's household heard all about it. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him, because they were terrified at his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, Come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now, do not be distressed, and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here, because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now there has been famine in the land, and for the next five years there will be no ploughing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then, it was not you who sent me here, but God. He made me father to Pharaoh, lord of his entire household and ruler of all Egypt. Now, hurry back to my father and say to him, This is what your son Joseph says. God has made me lord of all Egypt. Come down to me. Don't delay. You shall live in the region of Goshen and be near me. You, your children and grandchildren, your flocks and herds, and all you have, I will provide for you there, because five years of famine are still to come. Otherwise, you and your household and all who belong to you will become destitute. You can see for yourselves, and so can my brother Benjamin, that it is really I who am speaking to you. Tell my father about all the honour accorded me in Egypt, and about everything you have seen, and bring my father down here quickly. Then he threw his arms around his brother Benjamin and wept, and Benjamin embraced him weeping, and he kissed all his brothers and wept over them. Afterwards his brothers talked with him. When the news reached Pharaoh's palace that Joseph's brothers had come, Pharaoh and his officials were pleased. Pharaoh said to Joseph, Tell your brothers, do this, load your animals and return to the land of Canaan, and bring your father and your families back to me. I will give you the best of the land of Egypt, and you can enjoy the fat of the land. You are also instructed to tell them, do this, take some carts from Egypt for your children and your wives, and get your father and come. Never mind about your belongings, because the best of all Egypt will be yours. So the sons of Israel did this. Joseph gave them carts, as Pharaoh had commanded, and he also gave them provisions for their journey. To each of them he gave new clothing, but to Benjamin he gave 300 shekels of silver and five sets of clothes. And this is what he sent to his father, ten donkeys loaded with the best things of Egypt, and ten female donkeys loaded with grain and bread and other provisions for his journey. Then he sent his brothers away, and as they were leaving he said to them, Don't quarrel on the way. So they went up out of Egypt and came to their father Jacob in the land of Canaan. They told him, Joseph is still alive. In fact, he is ruler of all Egypt. Jacob was stunned. He did not believe them. But when they told him everything Joseph had said to them, and when he saw the carts Joseph had sent to carry him back, the spirit of their father Jacob revived. And Israel said, I'm convinced my son Joseph is still alive. I will go and see him before I die. Before we dive into our text today, let me pray. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you for your truth, your truth 
that gives light and gives understanding. It sets the captives free. Your word, your truth that reveals to us the glory of the Father in the person of Jesus Christ. We pray that you would speak now by the power of your word, the power of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, we pray these things. Amen. Amen. Now, if you don't know me, well, here's something that I want you to know. That I love reunion stories. Reunion stories are fun to watch. And YouTube knows it. And that's why they're always feeding me these, YouTube, these reunion stories. Because there's something fascinating about reunions. See, when you're watching a reunion, what you're often witnessing is the rebirth of a relationship. And it's no exaggeration to say that relationships are the most important things in life. Because the two greatest commandments in the Bible have to do with relationships. One is our relationship, our vertical relationship that's with God. And then our horizontal relationship, and that is our relationships with each other. And whenever you see broken relationships towards God or in the family or in the church, you know that something has gone terribly wrong. But God is in the business of reconciling broken relationships. And there is perhaps nothing so moving as witnessing a fractured family being reconciled. A marriage that was torn apart because of infidelity being restored. Uh, childhood friendships being rekindled because of bonds that they shared when they were growing up. See, these stories often invoke a deep sense of hope and nostalgia and the joy of coming full circle. We knew a couple back in New York City. Their relationship had completely fractured and everyone was like, it's done. It's over. People were encouraging them, like, just go your separate ways. But God had another plan. And he stepped into that situation and he restored that marriage. And when they were standing in front of the church, sharing their story of reconciliation, there was not one single dry eye. Because God did the impossible in this relationship. They first sought God and God stepped in and he restored their relationship. Reunion stories are beautiful. And that's why Genesis 45 is such a moving chapter, because we are allowed to look in on reconciliation between Joseph and his family after 22 years of separation and estrangement. So here's the point I want to make in my talk today, that the key to reconciliation is having a right attitude that comes from having a right perspective on the sovereignty of God. The key to reconciliation is a right attitude that comes from having a right perspective on the sovereignty of God. And here are three things I want us to see in our text today. One is a shocking revelation. And two, 
We're going to see a solid theology. And lastly, we're going to see a solid application. So let's look at the first point, a shocking revelation. Look with me at verses one to three. And it reads, then Joseph could no longer control himself because after all his attendants, he could not control himself before all of his attendants. And he cried out, make everyone leave my presence. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him and Pharaoh's household heard about it. Then Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. So we see in verse chapter 44, after Judah's impassioned plea for Benjamin and for Jacob, their father, Joseph saw that his brothers had genuinely repented. He could no longer contain himself. And Joseph himself said, okay, it's time for me to come clean. He's ready to reveal his true identity to his brothers. So Joseph clears the room, possibly because he's like, all these people are under me and I don't want, I'm their boss. I don't want them seeing me broken in an emotional mess. So y'all gonna have to leave. Y'all gotta get out of here. Because what's about to happen is gonna be ugly. A lot of ugly crying is about to happen. So Joseph tells them, to clear the room. And the only people you have left is Joseph and his 11 brothers. Now they still think that this is Zaphonah Paniah, the prime minister of Egypt, and they have no idea what's going on. And suddenly this guy, he just starts crying in front of them. And he's not just crying, this brother is wailing. Just think of a well. They, they well, he was crying so loud that everyone in the household heard about it. And people had to go run to Pharaoh and say, man, Joseph is losing it. He's breaking down. That's how loud he was crying. And he's like, guys, it's me. It's Joseph. Is my father still alive? They can't even answer. They don't know what to say. They can't even speak. And so Joseph, to ease their fears a little bit, he says to them in verse four, he says, come closer. Now, the Hebrew verb that is used here is referring not to spatial proximity, as in move closer from the back to the front. It's referring to an intimate closeness. It's the verb that I would use when I want a kiss from Angela. I would tell her in my very white verse, Angela, come close. That's the verb that is being used here. He's saying, come close to me. He said, look at me, guys. He's like, I might be bald. I might speak Egyptian. And I may be clothed in these royal garments, but I'm your brother. Come close. Take a look 
in my face. And if they weren't convinced by his physical features, and look at verse 4, he says, I am Joseph, the one you sold into slavery. Now, at this point, their mouths must have dropped to the floor. Because how did this man know what happened that day out on the fields of Dothan? That was a secret that was kept between these 11 brothers, these 22 years. How does he know this? This is their long lost brother, Joseph, the one they sold into slavery. The one that they probably assumed was dead. He is now speaking to them and the realization of who he is stuns them. It leaves them terrified. This is a shocking revelation for them. Verse 5. And now he says, do not be distressed. And do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. Brothers are distressed. This word distress means that they are terrified. And you want to know why the brothers are so afraid and so terrified? Because they're thinking in their mind, oh man, this is payback. Joseph is about to get his payback. And they're probably thinking that Joseph is going to now humiliate them as they humiliated him. They're thinking that Joseph is going to torture them like they tortured him. And they are right to think that way because this is just sinful human nature. When we are wronged and when we feel as if someone committed a transgression against us, whether it's a minor offense or a major offense, we often feel a strong urge to retaliate. It's this whole idea of the oppressed becoming now, or the oppressed becoming now the oppressor. And that's what they're afraid of. You see, when we feel this way, it's often this, this, this need for revenge and for retaliation. We often feel this way because to us, we need to figure out a way to restore a sense of justice, righting the wrongs that was done to us. So they're thinking that this is what Joseph is going to do to them. But this wasn't the Joseph that was standing before them. You see, the Joseph that was standing before them was a changed man. Here we see Joseph weeping and wailing in front of his brothers, not because of what happened to him in the past. Notice his follow-up response wasn't, during the big reveal, his follow-up response wasn't, why? Why did you throw me in a pit? Why did you sell me into slavery? That wasn't his response. Notice what his response was. He says, don't beat yourselves up for what you did. Come close. Embrace me. 
Joseph is weeping for the fact that he can now be reconciled to his brothers. See, Joseph can finally embrace his brothers and ease their fears of any retaliation because he fully forgave them. In verse 14 and 15, he's not only embracing them, but he's kissing them. He's weeping over them. Look, you can't fully embrace a person and weep with them if you haven't fully forgiven them. But Joseph was willing to embrace his brothers because he had forgiven them. He could not harbor a grudge or see them as his enemies even any longer, even before he knew that they were changed. Even before he knew that they were fully repentant, we see that Joseph had fully forgiven them. And we see that in the fact that he names his son Manasseh back in chapter 41. Manasseh means to forget. What Joseph is saying to his brothers is that I let that stuff go. I let it go. So he embraces them. This was shocking to his brothers. And that's because Joseph had a sound theology. And that leads to my second point. Look with me at verses 5 to 8. He says, Now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there has been famine in the land, and for the next five years, there will be no plowing and reaping. Verse 7, but God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. Verse 8, so then it was not you who sent me here, but God. Wait a minute, Joseph. What do you mean it was God who sent you to Egypt? It kind of sounds like Joseph is trying to give his brothers a free pass. It sounds like he's trying to let them off the hook. But that's not what Joseph is doing here. See, forgiving is not forgetting. Joseph remembers exactly what his brothers did to him. Joseph doesn't say God sold me into slavery. No, he makes it clear in verse five that they sold him into slavery. He is simply saying that God sent me here, not you. So help us understand, Joseph, what's going on in your mind. Now, look, I don't know what goes on inside your mind when you recall the memories of people who hurt you. The pain of someone treating you badly. That person rejecting you or trying to manipulate you. But I'm sure the perspective you have on that person or on that situation is not usually a favorable one. Or one that tries to let the person Off the hook. What Joseph is saying to his brothers is this. What you did to me, yes, it was wrong. You meant it for evil. Meaning there was nothing good about your motives. 
but God. And I love this. Notice the emphasis on but God. He says it twice in verses 7 and 8. He's saying, but God had a different plan. You see, their plan was to kill Joseph, but it was God who flipped their evil intentions to destroy him in order to execute his plans to save them. The irony in that. So Joseph is saying to his brothers, don't be so hard on yourself because it wasn't you who pulled this off. It was my sovereign God who saw far into the future and saw the needs of this world and my family. And he chose me to be the one to solve the famine problem so that I can be in a position to not only save your life, but the lives of countless others. God did this. God did this, guys. See, there's no way Joseph could have ever been willing to say this to his brothers if he had not had a solid theology on the sovereignty of God. Don't beat yourselves up, brothers. You meant it for evil, but God used it for good. And lastly, we see a solid application. You know, I remember being at a church where there were two individuals who hadn't spoken to each other for 15 years. 15 years. 15 years ago, one of them said something that offended the other person. And they just stopped talking to each other. Now, ironically, they still went to the same church, but they decided to go to Two separate services, right? And the reason they did that is because they didn't want to see each other. And so whenever it happened that they were at the same service, they never talked to one another. And they made every effort to avoid any kind of confrontation, even if that meant leaving early, just right after the preacher prays. They would make a beeline for the exit so that way they don't serendipitously or, or accidentally run into that person. They wanted nothing to do with that person. And I remember having a conversation with both of them separately. And I said, do you forgive that person? And they said, absolutely, I forgive that person. <laughs> but they still wanted nothing to do with them. Because in their mind, the goal wasn't restored relationship. They can feel like they forgave that person as long as they didn't have anything to do with that person. See, Joseph's goal wasn't just to forgive his brothers. Joseph wanted a restored relationship with them. Look at verses 9 to 11. He says, now hurry back to my father and say to him, this is what your son Joseph says. God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me. Don't delay. You shall live in the region of Goshen and be near me. You, your children and your grandchildren, your flocks and your herds and all you have. I will provide for you. 
I will provide for you there because five years of famine are still to come. Otherwise, you and your household and all who belong to you will become destitute. One of the consequences or applications of Joseph seeing the providence and the sovereignty of God in his story was he wanted his family back together again. The acknowledgement of wrongdoing on the part of the brothers and forgiveness has opened the door to a restored relationship. So he says, go back to Canaan, get my father, bring him down to Egypt because I want the whole family to be near to me. In verse 10, he's like, this family is going to last for a really long time. And I can't stand the thought of you guys suffering so far away from me. We've suffered long enough as a family. Come near to me. Get my dad and tell him that God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Now, look, Joseph is not saying this to be proud or braggadocious. Go back home and say your son that you thought was lost. He's balling. He's the man in Egypt. That's not his intentions. He wants Jacob to know that the dream God gave him as a 17 year old boy. Has come to pass. Joseph wants Jacob to know that God was in it the entire time. That's what he wants Jacob to know. He says, bring my father here with me. Joseph not only wants his family to be near to him, but he wants to provide for them. He wants to give them the best of everything. Look at verse 18. Bring your family to Egypt and I will give you the best of the land. Verse 20. Never mind your belongings because the best of all Egypt will be yours. Verse 22 or verse 23. And this is what he sent to his father. Ten donkeys loaded with the best things of Egypt. Could you imagine Jacob's reaction as he sees his sons pulling up to the driveway in the equivalent of 10 cars dressed in tailored suits made with the finest Egyptian fabrics with pockets full of pounds. And he's stepping out saying, Dad, you'll never believe what happened to us in Egypt. And he doesn't. And they're trying to explain it to him. And we read that Joseph doesn't believe. He's probably thinking, man, look, I know my boys. These are conniving, cheating, lying, manipulative boys. They probably stole this from someone. But then they begin to explain to Jacob everything that Joseph told them. Joseph is still alive, Dad. And not only is he alive, but he is the ruler of Egypt. He sent us to get you and the whole family. He won us back together again. And I love what it says next. 
we read that the spirit of Jacob revived. He came back to life again. For 22 years, he had been living with the spirit of heaviness. For 22 years, he was grieving the loss of one of his favorite sons. 22 years. Didn't get a chance to say goodbye. And now, Joseph is still alive. See, God is healing this family. And he's restoring them back together again. You see, it was God who changed the brothers' hearts and he gave Joseph the grace to embrace forgiveness. It is God who orchestrated the events of their lives in order to bring them to a place where they can move on to the next chapter of God's purposes and plans for them, not individually, but collectively as a family. Because God is not only sovereign, but God loves restoration. He loves taking broken things and making something beautiful out of it. See, Joseph's story gives us a vision of how God can supernaturally bring healing and restoration even when the way seems impossible. And look, I understand that not all relationships will ever or could ever be reconciled, at least on this side of eternity. However, that does not mean that reconciliation is not worth pursuing because reconciliation is what God wants for his people. See, when you are able by faith to see God's providence at work in your story, then your attitudes towards forgiveness and reconciliation will be different. You won't feel entitled to the bitterness and the rage, but as long as you hold on to the bitterness and the rage, you will continue to be shaped by that bitterness and rage. But if you say you believe the gospel and you believe in the doctrine of divine providence, but you still hold a grudge, you still hold on to the bitterness. At the very least, it shows that you are blocking the effects of the gospel in your life. Or at worst, you're kidding yourself. and You don't even believe the gospel. And you don't even have a sound theology on the doctrine of divine sovereignty and providence. And I say that because you see reconciliation is at the heart of the gospel. It is the natural outworking or application to what Jesus Christ has done for us. Second Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. 
The old has gone and the new is here. And this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ. And get this, he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he committed to us this message of reconciliation. You see, God's desire is for lost men and women to be reconciled to him. See, even though we were his enemies and we nailed him to the cross, it is the cross that has become the ultimate demonstration of God's love and relentless pursuit to be reconciled with those who nailed him to a tree. What man meant for evil against the Son of God, God turned it around for the good so that those who look to Jesus might be saved. They might be reconciled to God. And to those who have been reconciled to God, he says, now go do what I did for you. Go pursue reconciliation. Go tell all men to be reconciled to me. So the key of being an effective minister of reconciliation is having the mindset or the attitude of Christ. We got to think about, we got to think like Christ when it comes to this issue of reconciliation. We do what we can to build bridges and to restore relationships because that's what Jesus Christ has done for us. Is there anyone in your life that God may be calling you to pursue reconciliation with? Why not pray with someone about that after the service? Find someone who's wearing the lanyard. Let us pray with you. We'll pray for wisdom. Pray for courage and boldness. But if you know that reconciliation is what God is calling you to, then pursue it. Because that's what Jesus Christ has done for us. Let's pray. I want the music team to, the band to come up. Says we sit and reflect. Father, God, you say in your word that the way of righteousness, Lord, is is not easy. It is a narrow path. It's easy to hold on to our grudges. It's easy to hold on to our bitterness. But you call us to be like your son, Jesus. And God, it may take us a while to get to that place. But help us to know, Lord, that your grace will be sufficient through it all. 
And as we are drawing near to you, God, begin to change our hearts and help us to want the things that you want, to desire the things that you desire. Because to a lost and dying world, to a world that is raging with anger and animosity, it shows the transformative power of your love and your grace. Amen.